Let's read the word of God. Matthew chapter three, verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Father, we thank you for what we've read in your word today. God, you are the king of the universe. You are our father, our savior, our Lord. Father, you are powerful and gracious and good beyond our our imagination. Father, you love us with a love that is surpassing knowledge. And Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the beauty of the gospel today. I pray that the baptism of the Spirit that you talk about in in this passage would be evident and working and moving in the people in this room. God, I just thank you for those that have gathered here to worship. Thank you for hearts that love you. God, I know that you've done that. You, You have put that in them. So, Father, please help us to obey what we've read today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, what I want to talk to you about this morning is three baptisms, okay? So if you're reading through this text, did you notice that there are three different kinds of baptisms described? Okay, you have a baptism of water, you have a baptism of the Spirit, and then you have a baptism with fire. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk about all three of those if we can, okay? Uh, the last one, fire, we're going to barely mention. We're just going to barely get into that, but that's okay because we're going we're gonna to actually see several more passages in the Gospel of Matthew that talk about what Jesus is describing there. And so let, let's begin by just remembering where we are in the Scriptures. So John the Baptist is the forerunner of Jesus. Uh, he's doing his job really well. John's job is to point to Jesus. Uh, really, John is a great model for all of us, okay? If you're thinking about what's my job in this world, your job in this world is to point to Jesus, and John does that incredibly well. When you read the Gospel of John, a uh, different guy, uh, when, he, when he describes John the Baptist's ministry, he describes one setting where, where John sees Jesus on the, on the banks of the Jordan. He's like, there he is, there he is, you know, the, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And, and all of John's disciples begin to go to Jesus, and John's like, man, that's good. That's, that's all right. I need to decrease, and he needs to increase, right? That's the ministry of John the Baptist. And, and he's doing that really well here. He is preaching this, this, this sermon of repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what we were looking at last week, this, this idea of repentance. Remember, it's kind of the front door into everything else God has for us. If you weren't here last week, let me, let me refresh, or let me, let me tell you, let me summarize what we talked about. So, so repentance is this. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a change of life. And it's primarily a change of mind about God. 
So, so whenever someone repents, what's happened in their life is they move from minimizing God, ignoring God, not being interested in God, being bored with God, avoiding God. They move from that to seeing God for who he is, realizing that he is Lord, he is King, he is Savior, he's my only hope, he is life. And when that happens in a man's mind, it changes his heart. Right? It changes his heart about, about sin and, and, about, and about his own life and what he loves and what he hates. And, and it changes his heart. And that change of heart leads to a visible change of life. And that that's, repentance in a nutshell. It, it's a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a change of life. And so John is preaching this message of repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And as he preaches this message, when people repent, he baptizes them in water okay now baptism in water is an outward sign of repentance and a new relationship with God now now John is real careful to say hey this is not just like a ceremony in fact when there's some guys that come the Pharisees and Sadducees they come to the Jordan River where John's at and John's like no not you guys he says, no, not you guys. You know why? Because they don't have the visible fruits of repentance. They're still, their conversation, what they're depending on is not, is not God alone, but it's rather, hey, we're Jews, we're good people, we're the righteous ones. And John's like, no, you guys, you guys don't have the fruits of repentance. You, you, it's, it's not your time. You're not going to be baptized because you lack the fruits of repentance. And so, and so John is preaching this message. He's baptizing on the Jordan River and then walks up Jesus. That's in verse 13. Jesus walks up and Jesus gets in line to be baptized by John. Now, immediately John is like, whoa 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 whoa! not not you john's like whoa not you in fact you know what john says we need to switch places here have you, have you ever been in somebody's seat Has that ever happened like you know you had a sporting event or whatever you you bought a seat you know you're you're number 353 or whatever and and and, and you think you are but you're in the wrong seat okay john realizes whoa 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 we need to switch john's john says where, where is it in verse um uh, 14, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? John's like, we need to switch this around. You know, you don't need to be baptized. I need to be baptized by you. All right, now, now here's what John is right about. John is right that Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. All right? You know why Jesus doesn't need to be baptized? Because he doesn't need to repent, right? You know why Jesus doesn't need to be baptized? He does not need a visible sign of his connection to God. You know why? Because he's already connected to God, right? I mean, there's nothing deficient in Jesus. He doesn't need to turn away from anything. And so John is right in saying, whoa, you don't need to be baptized. We need to switch places here. What John is, doesn't yet understand is that Jesus is being intentional here. He knows he's in the wrong place. But Jesus is going to take our place. You see what I'm saying? Jesus knows he's in our seat, and that's intentional. Verse 15, he says, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is basically like, John, you're right. You're right, but we need to do this, John. We need to do this because it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. You see, Jesus is beginning his ministry of being our substitute. You know what Jesus did in his earthly life? He was in your place, wasn't he? He was in your place. And, and that's visible in his 
baptism. In Hebrews chapter 2, this, this is a neat passage. Hebrews chapter 2, it talks about Jesus being the perfect substitute for us. In verse 17 it says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers. That's us in every respect. So he had to be made like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. You see, Jesus was being intentional in his baptism. And basically what he was saying was, I'm identifying with you. I'm identifying with your place. I'm taking your place. All right? In fact, when you think about it, Jesus' entire ministry, his entire life, was Jesus constantly doing things that he shouldn't have had to do. Let's go through some of them. Circumcision. You know what circumcision was, right, for the Old Testament Jew? It was a mark that you were a part of the covenant. Does the one who spoke the covenant to Abraham, does he need a mark of the covenant? You know, does the one who gave the law, does he need a, a sign that he's connected to the law? No. Does he really need to be baptized? No, he doesn't need to repent. Does he, does he really need to be tested? Next week we're going to move into chapter 4 and the temptation of Jesus. Does Jesus really need to be tempted? No, he does not. Does he really need to prove himself? No, he does not. Does Jesus need to suffer? No, he does not. Does he need to be tortured? No, he does not. Does he need to be on trial? No, he does not. Does he, does he need to go to the cross? Does he need to die? You and I, we need to die. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. But Jesus doesn't need to. Think about this. Jesus' whole life was humbling himself to do things that he didn't need to do in order to take our place. You know what? You know what grabs me about that? <clears throat> How many of you, you have a horrible time when you're asked to do something that you don't think you should have to do? How many of you trip over that? You know, man, it's just it just crawls all over you for someone to to ask you, or even worse, we're Americans, demand that you do something that you don't think you should have to do. You know, whenever that happens, next time that happens, I want you to remember that Jesus lived his whole life doing things that he shouldn't have had to do. Why? To be in your place. To be your representative. To be your substitute. All right, and so, so, so Jesus, in his baptism, he's taking our place, right? John's like, hey, we need to switch. He's like, no, no, we don't. No, we don't. You know, we don't, John. I, I, I'm going to be the perfect representative for mankind. I'm going to identify with man and I'm going to endure and go through everything that they do that I might be their perfect substitute. And so John consents and in verse 16 Jesus is baptized. And it says when he came up out of the water, it says when he came up from the water, two really important things happened. Okay, and we're going to talk about these next week in relation to his temptation. I think I and I, I love it. I love how those two pieces fit together. We're going to talk about that next week. But for now, let's just, let's just describe what happens here, okay? So the first thing that happens is the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus in visible form, okay? The second thing that happens is that God the Father speaks from heaven. And what does He say? He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so God the Father takes this, this opportunity of Jesus' baptism to shout from heaven that he loves Jesus, the Son, and that he is completely pleased with his Son. 
That word please means to delight in, to enjoy, to be happy with, to be completely satisfied with. Now, now this is super important. And in fact, what, what I'm about to go into here, I don't know why. I don't know why. But many, many, many Christians miss this. Okay, And, and I don't know if they miss it in the sense that they don't know it. But that, but they don't live it out. I, I had a I had a conversation this week with a couple different people who who essentially the root of their problem is they miss what I'm about to explain. Okay, and so I I don't want you to miss that. All right, so so let's let's be real thorough here. What is God the Father doing? God the Father is expressing His complete delight and satisfaction in His Son. I was trying to think of illustrations for that. They all kind of fall, you know. Uh, the first one I thought of was, I was thinking, okay, what does it mean to delight in your son? And I, I thought, first of all, of uh, we, Em and I had this experience a couple days ago. We were at our home, and there was uh, we had a visitor to our home who was interviewing us. And uh, she came in, she sat on her couch, we were, we were talking, and our little guy comes in. You know how when the little guy wants attention, they kind of get right in the middle of everything? And he brings his combine, and he has hooked his plow onto his combine. Now, I did not teach him that, all right, because that's not the way it works. But he, he, for him, it all made sense. And, and, and he kind of butts into the conversation, and he begins to tell this lady uh, all about agriculture. You know, and, and, he, and he tells her, he says, you know, the combine, it cuts the corn, and the corn goes in the bin, and then and, and the bin goes in the, and the corn goes out the auger, and the auger goes in the grain cart, and, you know, he, and he's telling her, and then he, then he pulls in the plow, he says, and then the, then the plow goes over the corn, I'm like, well, that's not right, but everything else he said is right, you know, and, and he's just, he's telling her all about farming, you know, because he, he got to ride with his pop all this summer on, on the combine, he, you know, he's got it all down, and I remember while that's happening, I looked up, and Emma, Emma and I's eyes met. She was sitting on a chair over here, and I was on the couch over here. And our eyes met. And, and when our eyes met, the, we knew what we were saying. We, we were pleased with him. Okay? Now, but, but that kind of falls apart because I got to think, well, what, what exactly were we pleased with? Well, we were just pleased because he's really cute, you know? Like, like that, that was a fun thing, funny thing for him to do is, you know, we got a visitor at home. He's going to give her a lesson on agriculture, you know, and how he was explaining it and the fact that he's got the plow hooked up to the combine. You know, I mean, He's kind of adorable. It, is that what God the Father is saying about Jesus? Oh, look, look, look at my adorable son. See, that kind of falls flat, doesn't it? Because I, I, think, I think God the Father was much more saying, Jesus is everything that satisfies me. He's everything I, I want a man to be. I think that's what he was saying. So I started thinking of other illustrations, and this one, I think this one's better, okay? When my daughter Hannah was home, from, from Washington, D.C. for Christmas. Uh, she came home and spent 10 days with us. And um, I, w- I was asking her about her New Year's resolutions. Actually, she already had them ready. She knew I was going to ask her. And so uh, she had them ready. And uh, she's, she's become a member of Capitol Hill Baptist Church, which I'm really happy about because Mark Dever is a stellar guy. It's probably my favorite church in the Washington, D.C. area, so I'm happy about that. Um, she, she's uh, uh, jumped in. She's gone through all the training to be on the servant team in the children's ministry. Uh, she's mentoring a couple little girls. And then she told me one of her resolutions is she's going to make a meal for the elders, for the different elders in her church. There's a whole bunch of them, but the ones that are like over her small group and in kind of in her, it's a huge church in her. She's going to make a meal for their family and just, just to bless them. And uh, man, when she told me that, there was something that happened in me that I think is a little bit akin to this. I was, I was satisfied with what's happening. Does that make sense? Like, like she is... What I, what I would want my daughter to be in that. 
I, I wanted to be plugged into a church. I wanted to be a servant. I wanted to be a minister. I wanted to be making disciples. Like, like there was something in me that was satisfied with what she was telling me, okay? I think that's what God the Father, I think that's better. That's better. That's a better illustration. It's still imperfect because there's a lot of things about Hannah. I'm like, ah, you know, uh, you know. Like 10 days, I'm like, is it time for you to go back to D.C.? You know, yeah. anyway, no, we, we love having it. But, you, but you know, I mean, I mean, you got kids, right? Like you're not ever happy with every. I mean, there's things that are, but there's nothing, there's nothing about Jesus that is annoying to God the Father. There's nothing about Jesus that is irritating. There's nothing about Jesus that is deficient. And so God the Father is proclaiming from heaven, this is my beloved son. I love my son and I am completely, wholly, fully satisfied. With Jesus. Now the reason that is so important to us is because of our baptism. Okay? Let's think about our baptism. In John's baptism, hang with me here, hang with me. There's something that's really important here you need to know. In John's baptism, Jesus is identifying with us, right? He's taking our place. When we are baptized, we are identifying with him. You see, it goes the other way. See, when we're baptized, what we're saying is, I've repented of my sins and I've put my faith in Jesus and my only hope in this universe is that I'm connected to Him. I'm connected to His perfect life, His substitutionary death, and His resurrection. And so when we are baptized by water, the symbolism there, it's Romans 6, okay? This is all... Right here in Romans 6, 3, and 4. Okay, are you ready? Let me just read it to you and then we'll explain it. Do you not know that all of you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by, into baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul is saying, when you are joined, when you're by faith, you put your faith in Christ and you're joined to Jesus, baptism is the symbol. It is the outward proclamation that I am joined to Jesus, joined to his death, joined to his burial, and joined to his resurrection. His death was for me. The old Jason is dead and buried. The new Jason is alive and joined to Jesus Christ forevermore. That is what we are saying in baptism. Now, Here's the thing that a lot of people miss. Because of that, God is pleased with me. Some of you, I still think you're going to struggle with that. There's probably some of you that are going to go one of two directions that are, that are gospelly wrong. Okay? You're going to walk around a lot of your life like this. Well, I'm just not a good enough Christian and I'm not going to help with team kids because, you know, I just can't get it all together. I can't even have my quiet time every day. And I know God's mad at me. And, you know, I, I'm, I missed church the other day, and I know he's not happy with that. And, you know, my prayer life, I, I can't, I, for whatever reason, I can't pray with my wife. She intimidates me terrible, you know, and, and I just can't do it. Pastor asked me to, and I can't do it. And God's mad. See, there, there's something doctrinally wrong about that. You know what's wrong about that? What did God say about his son, Jesus? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What did you say in your baptism? I am joined to Jesus. I'm in him. I'm joined to his death, his burial, his resurrection. And my hope for this life and the one to come 
is his righteousness. Do you, you get that? His righteousness. Now, there's other people, they, they, go, they go the other way, and it's equally as wrong. They, they walk around like this. Man, did you see me sing that special? I mean, it was fantastic, you know. God has got to be happy with me. Did you, did you see how I helped? I gave that one, that homeless guy, money. And, man, I, I know God was smiling from heaven because I have got to be his favorite boy. Now, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is your righteousness does not impress God. Okay? In fact, you know what Paul said in Philippians 3? He said, man, all, all of my righteousness piled up. Every good thing that I could possibly do on my own strength is rubbish. It's dung. It's trash. He says, I want a righteousness that is not my own. Okay? So, so this is why I'm saying Jesus' baptism is, is really crucial in understanding our baptism. Because in Jesus' baptism, God speaks from heaven and says, that's my boy. And in, in him, I am well pleased. In our baptism, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying, I can't do it, guys. I'm saying, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this. When I'm baptized, I'm saying, I can't do it. I can't be good enough for God. I can't do it on my own. I can't save myself. I'm hopeless. What I'm doing is turning in complete faith to Jesus Christ. And I am putting all my trust in him. And, and I'm being joined to him so that his death is for me. His life is my life. And I'm found in him. And God is pleased with me because of Jesus. That, don't miss that. All right, so are we clear about baptism by water? Okay, so baptism by water is us identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, Jesus', Jesus baptism was him identifying with us. Our baptism is us identifying with him. Okay, now, it gets even better, okay? Because for those who are joined to Jesus, for those who, who are, are connected to him by faith, those who are baptized by water, okay, Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit, all right? So look in verse um, 11. Uh, at the end of it, he says, uh, John says, I baptize you with water, but he who's coming, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All right, now what does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? You know what, you know what helps us make sense is when you remember, what does the word baptize mean? So, so baptism is one of those words that we decided that we wouldn't translate, right? So, so, so like, let me give you an example. So uh, a lot of you may know this, but the Greek word, one of the Greek words for love in the Bible is agape. Okay, it's the Greek word agape. So what did we do? Well, we said, well, the Greek word agape is translated into English as the word love. Okay? You know what we did with baptism? We didn't translate it. We, we just, we, it's called transliterate. We just took the Greek word, which is baptizo, and kind of Englishized it and said baptism, and we just left it. Okay, but what the word baptism means is immerse. It means to immerse. All right, and so when, when John says, hey, the one, there's one who's coming who's going to bat, he's going to immerse you in the Spirit. See, that makes, that, that help, does that help anybody else? That helps me, right? Because I'm, I'm thinking baptism in the Spirit. You know, but when I, when, I, when, I, when I translate the word, and, and it's like, okay, the one who's coming is going to immerse you in the Spirit. That helps me make sense. So what is that exactly is he saying that he's going to immerse you in the spirit? What does that mean? Well, obviously it means 
that we're going to be indwelt with the Spirit of God, right? So 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 20, what is it, 13 talks about that you're being baptized into one body through the Spirit. Uh, Romans 8 talks about um, us, if you have the Spirit, then you have Jesus. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Jesus. So every born-again believer is indwelt with the Spirit of God. But I don't think he's just talking about being indwelt with the Spirit of God. There's more here, okay? So, so when, when John is saying Jesus is going to come and he's going to immerse you in the Spirit, He's saying more than that. I know that because of the rest of the Bible. So, man, one of the cool things about the Bible is how it's all connected. Don't you love that? And so what, what John says here in Matthew chapter 3, fast forward to the end of the Gospels. So Jesus has already lived, died, resurrected, and gone into heaven, and now we got the book of Acts, okay? And now this is happening, all right? So in Acts 1-5, it says this, For John baptized with water... But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the book of Acts opens up saying, Hey, you all remember what John the Baptist said? You remember how he said you were going to be baptized by the Spirit? That's about to happen, right? All right, now, so let's look at how it happens. Well, in verse 8, same chapter, Acts 1-8. Acts 1-8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. All right, so here's something helpful. So, so what does it mean to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? Well, it means God's going to immerse you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to indwell you. He's going to fill you with His Spirit. And what that means practically is you're going to receive power. Power to do what? That's a key question. Is it, is it power to um, stay with your diet so you can lose some weight in your New Year's resolution? Is it power to uh, know how to fix your computer? Is it power to lift big weights? Is it power to um, convince your wife to let you have it your way? You know, what, what is it power for? Well, fortunately, we're not left to decide that for ourselves. It is this, Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. All right, are, are you following me here? So Acts 1, 5 says, hey, remember what John the Baptist said? He said you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. It's about to happen. Acts 1, 8 says when it happens, you're going to receive power, and that power is so that you will be my witnesses to your family, your kids, your parents, and your brothers, and your sisters, and your neighbors, and your, and your, and your coworkers. That's, that's going to happen. All right, fast forward. Acts 2, it happens. Acts 2, 4. And they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Oh, sometimes we go off the rails. So, so a lot of Christians read that far and they stop and they're like, bam, that's what it means. Jesus, when John said, you know, I'll baptize you with water, but there's one who's coming who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, it means speaking in tongues. I don't mean to belittle that, but here's what I want to say. Have you not read the whole chapter? What did we just read? What we read was, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. That's going to give you power to be His witnesses. His witnesses to people where? Judea, Jerusalem, or Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Okay? And so what, what happens here in Acts 2? Well, they happen to be in a major city, Jerusalem, where a feast is happening, where there is people literally from every corner of the planet. And so what does God do? God gives them power to be witnesses. Well, how are you going to be a witness if you don't know their language? Well, God gives you the ability to speak a different language. 
It's exactly what happens, right? And so, so that happens. Verse 11, it says, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. That's what it means to be immersed in the Spirit, is you tell the mighty works of God. Peter, Peter hears this happening, he sees this happening, and he says, guys, this is exactly what the Old Testament told us would happen in the book of Joel. So in uh, Acts 2, we're just going through the book of Acts here, 2.17. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Awesome. What's going to happen then? Keep reading. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. They shall, they shall prophesy. You go to the next word, verse. Even my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. What does it mean to prophesy? I went ahead and got you the exact definition out of my lexicon to proclaim an inspired revelation. Well, you know what you do when you prophesy? You, you, you tell people about God. You tell them what God said. You tell them what God's going to do. You, you, tell them what, you tell them God's word. All right? And, and, and so, so in the book of Acts, we see what this baptism of the Spirit is this power that comes upon men that enables them to describe the mighty works of God. Keeps happening. Look in Acts 4. Acts 4, they get arrested. The church does. They get beat up, tossed around a little bit, bullied, um, let go. They have a prayer meeting. And then look what happens in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to what? Speak the word of God with boldness. Now, the case I'm making to you is that the person who is baptized by water if that's a genuine thing, you know what that, that signifies? That signifies that they're joined to Jesus, right? They're joined to his death, burial, and resurrection. They're identifying with Jesus. Jesus is, God is pleased with Jesus. And so in Christ, God is pleased with us. We are forgiven. We're redeemed. We're, 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 we're brought into the family of God. And when we're brought into the family of God, then God sends his spirit and immerses us in his spirit. And what is that for? Well, that is power that enables you to proclaim the mighty deeds of God to the world. Now, I think if I would have heard that, if I go back to when I was a brand new Christian, you know what would have been going through my mind? What would have been going through my mind is, oh man, what he's laying on me is that I got to go tell people about Jesus and I don't want to. That's scary. And, and man, they'll make fun of me. And... Uh, I don't know all the answers. I don't know exactly what to say. But I guess I have to. That is not what I'm saying. Okay? There's no power in that. There's no, there is no power in walking out of here and being like, Oh, guilt trip, man. He laid us on it. You know, I got to go share with somebody. You know, man, I don't want to do that. But I guess that is not what I see happening in Acts. You know what I see happening in Acts? I see a people that are so overwhelmed with the goodness and the love of God, they can't, they physically can't be quiet about it. That's what I see happening in Acts. It, it, it is not this com, one more command. You know what it is? It, it's this realization of all that Jesus is in, on our behalf. It's this realization of the love of God. It's this realization that, that God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and that I can be a part of that and that God can be well pleased with me. Man, when, when you are overjoyed over something, 
you don't, you don't even have to work to tell people, do you? It just comes out. You just show people. You go immediately to Facebook and you forward it, you know? You like it. You, you talk about it. You share it. You just do. It is not work. It is not effort. It, it just flows out of you. Now, if I would have heard what I just said 20, 26 years ago, right after I got saved, my next question would be, well, but I know a lot of Christians who don't seem very joyful over their salvation. They don't seem bubbling over. What's, what's the deal? Well, that's a complicated question, actually, that would, I, if we had another 45 minutes. But I'm already late, so let me, let me say a couple things about it. Number one, if you're not in this very much, I, 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 don't, think, I don't think you are, I don't think you're very overjoyed about what God's done. See, the purpose of the Word of God is to reveal the glory of God to us. For a lot of Christians, it stems from not being in the Word. So, so here's a cool thing. Ephesians 5 says, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. And then it gives a whole bunch of results of being filled with the Spirit. When you go to the next, or two books later in the Bible, Colossians 3, you find those exact same results, except it doesn't say be filled with the Spirit. You know what it says in its place? It says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You see, here's what I found. When people are just immersed in the truth of God, when they are discovering over and over again all that God is on their behalf, boom, it's happening. There's a power there that brings a joy that overflows. If you're prayerless, you know, if, if in your life, basically what you've told God is, God, I am a super busy guy. And I just don't have much time to talk to you because I got all this stuff to do. Expect not to have much power. Just, just expect it. If, 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 that, if, your, if your idea is, God, I don't have time to rely on you and to, and to look to you because I got all this to do. If you're, if you're a Christian and you've got a missionless Christianity, if your idea of being a Christian is, well, God, I know you gave me salvation. I'm not going to hell. That's, that's all I'm content with. I'm content with just that. And I've got some busy stuff to do, God. And so I'm really just too busy for, for your work. Don't expect much power. Now, now there's, there's lots of other things that we could say about quenching the Spirit, which is exactly the topic we're talking about. But, but, but I would just say a, a Bibleless Christian and a prayerless Christian and a missionless Christian should not expect power. Because Acts 1 says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to receive power for this purpose. And the power is going to come in this way. Now, Finally, and I think this helps tie it all together. The third baptism in this passage is a baptism of fire. Okay, so look at the end of verse 11. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire and fire. Now, a lot of people have said, well, what he's talking about here is in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit falls, what's, what's over their heads? You remember that story? Tongues of fire, right? I don't think that's what he's talking about. Uh, others have said it, it's the fires of purification that we find uh, that come from the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians, what is that, 2? Um, I, I think those things are true. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I think what he's talking about here is the fires of judgment. Now, why do I think he's talking about the fires of judgment? Well, one of the things that you need to do 
when you're studying the Bible is always, when, you don't, when you're not sure about something, always look at the context, okay? So together, look in your Bibles. Let's look at the context. Let's figure out what he means here by baptism by fire. Look at the verse right before where we started, verse 10, okay? This is John the Baptist preaching a baptism of repentance for the kingdom of God's at hand. And then what does he say to those who do not repent? Verse 10, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay? Let's look at the verse right after what we just read. Okay? So, so in verse 12, it says, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's verse 11, I'm sorry. Holy Spirit and fire. Now look at verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I'm pretty solidly convinced that when he says he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, he is saying he's going to baptize believers, those connected to Christ, those who symbolize their own death, burial, and resurrection with water baptism. He's going to baptize them with the Spirit and everybody else is going to be baptized with fire. In other words, you're going to have a baptism. You're going to be immersed in something. You're either going to be immersed in the Spirit or you're going to be immersed in fire. Now, what verse 12 is all about is about separation. I want to mention this briefly, and then we're going to hit it over and over and over and over and over and over, and over, and over again in the Gospel of Matthew, okay? Lots of images, but these, these are all consistently images about separation. Right now, we're all together. Right now, our families are together. Right? right now, our communities are together. Our classrooms, we're, we're together. We're together with people in families and communities and teams and schools and classrooms and companies and job sites and neighborhoods and cities. But what 12 says is there's coming a day of separation. And John the Baptist's message of repent for the kingdom of God is cutting that right in half. Okay? It's hitting some people and they're repenting. And they're putting their faith in Jesus. And they're being baptized as a symbol of their union to Jesus Christ. And they're being immersed in the Spirit. Other people, they're not. And they're going to be immersed in fire. The picture here is of a threshing floor. Okay, Verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. Now, if you don't know anything about agriculture, you're like, what in the world did all that mean? Okay, A lot of you, I think, are going to understand this. though. Today, we use combines to do what he's talking about. We do that. We use a combine to separate the wheat from the chaff. Right? The wheat goes in the, bar, in the bin. The chaff goes out the back. My little guy could tell you about that. Right? All right? But what he's talking about... It is a much simpler version, okay? It's not the simplest version. The simplest version is what my grandpa and granddad, my, my dad and grandpa taught me when I was just, uh, could barely walk. And I've been doing it ever since. Is when you're waiting for the wheat to get ready, you go pluck a piece to see if it's ready. You know what you do, right, farmers? You put it in your hand. You thresh it. This is what you do with one piece. You thresh it. You thresh it up. And then what? You blow it. The chaff blows away. The grain stays in your hand. Okay? Now, what he's talking about is a little more complex version. It's, it's a threshing floor where you would put all the stalks of wheat in, in, in on the threshing floor, and then you would, you would either stomp it or you'd thresh it somehow or a sledge or something. You, 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 you thresh it, and then you, the part he's talking about is the winnowing fork. You take that winnowing fork, 
you'd scoop it, you'd toss it in the air. The wheat would come back down in your pile here. The chaff would blow a little ways further. You would burn the chaff and you would save the wheat. He says that's what's happening. This message of repentance, it is separating people. It is separating families. It is separating marriages. And, and so, so when we put all this together, here, here's what we see. We see an urgency. We see an urgency. Now, notice verse 10. What, what's the picture? Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Where's the axe? It's not in the shed. If the axe is in the shed, you got a little time, right? If the axe is in the shed, what do you, what do you tell the, the tree? Hey, you better bear fruit because there's going to come a day, you know. I mean, man, pop some fruit out, you know, because someday the guy's going to come. But when he's got the axe and he's laid it at the root of the tree, what do you tell the, the tree? Well, maybe it's too late or maybe you're like, no, you know, right? Like it's at the root of the tree. What, what, what's, what's he saying in verse 12? Where's the fork at? The winnowing fork is in. If it's in his hands, what does that mean? He's ready. Here's, here's what those are meant to do. They're meant to provide a little urgency for you. That, that's what they're meant to do. Those are meant to provide an urgency. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's at hand. And some of you are in that kingdom. And if you are, then you have been baptized. You've been immersed in the Spirit of God. Why? So you can rest out your life? No. You're immersed in, in, in the Spirit of God so that you might be overjoyed in all that God has done on your behalf and that that might come out of you to others. Why? Because the axe at the root of the tree the winnowing fork is in his hand. And there's going to be a separation. And that separation will be eternal. We don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but do you notice the last two words there? An unquenchable fire. He will burn with unquenchable fire. Unquenchable fire is fire that never goes out. It's a wrath that burns forever. It's an eternal judgment that has no end. It would be so worth your time. And I know we don't like to do things like this. But it would be so worth your time to take 30 seconds. Maybe now, maybe later. But take 30 seconds and for a minute imagine. And pull the truth in your head. That there will be people that you know who will spend an eternity in an unquenchable fire. That is not meant to manipulate us. That is not meant to play on emotions. If it's just playing on your emotions, it's not going to do anything. What it's meant to do is to drive home the reality that you need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You need to be joined to Jesus. God is pleased with him. God is pleased with Jesus. And he will be pleased with you if you are in Jesus.
That's our only hope. The guys that go ahead and come forward, you know, you know how we're going to finish? The guys that come forward and, 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 and prepare the table. Here's how we're going to finish. We're going to finish by saying, we know that Jesus is our only hope. All right? that, that's, what, that's what communion, the Lord's Supper, is about. It is, it is a, a physical act of worship in which we say, my only hope is the broken body of Jesus. My only hope is the shed blood of Jesus. Receiving that into myself. Here at Lincoln Avenue, we have what's called open communion. What that means is you don't have to be a member of our church to partake of communion with us. But you do need to be a born-again believer. You need to be somebody who has repented of your sin and, and you put your faith in Jesus and you're joined to him and your righteousness is, is in Christ. And you've been baptized. You, you, you have got up in the, in the baptistry and, or in a lake or in a pond or a bathtub or wherever, you know, wherever the church was that you were baptized in, however they did it. The, the important thing is, is that you publicly identified with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that's, that's an important thing. I can't remember if I said it in this service, but I said it in the other services. If, you know, ladies, if, if there's a guy that comes up to you and, and he says, would you marry me? And then he follows that by saying, but we're going to do a secret marriage, you know, and we're not going to have rings and we're not, we're not going to have a, a public ceremony. We're just going to be married in secret. You need to say no. <laughs> you should not have a Christianity that's in secret. If you've been joined to the Savior of the universe, if you've been joined to the King of Kings, then you show that publicly by believer's baptism. That, that is the method of the New Testament everywhere. 